welcome to the podcast. Uh, it's a new podcast in myself, Simon Miller, in collaboration with Nicola Crawley, and we'll get to a little bit of ourselves afterwards. But the aim of the podcast is we'll have a conversation, fairly brief, about a particular topic, and then we'll leave you with some tips or ideas, either for personal practice or classroom practice ideas. Uh, so, like I said, I'm Sam Miller. I'm a pastoral middle leader in a secondary school with a passion for well-being and the acknowledgement of the impact that well-being has on attainment and the general school community. I don't have the answers, say that at the outset. I do sometimes ask the right questions of the right people, which is where Nicola comes in, who often either has the answer or signposts me to somebody who might have the answer. Uh, so, hello, Nicola. Hi, Sam. Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, yes, my name is Nicola Crawley, um, and I'm a mental health nurse. Um, I've, I've been a mental health nurse now for quite some time. And I have worked in child and adolescent mental health services for around 16 years in various different roles. I have been part of the eating disorders virtual teams, the neurodevelopmental assessment teams. I have been part of a generic CAMS picture and seen the service really develop over time, uh, bridging the gap between psychiatry and psychology is is really really useful and this uh, the work on systemic practice and and the family therapy practice has really helped Uh, and now as you said Sam I work I work with schools I work in in the Torvine area and I cover all schools and I offer three things around consultation being available for um concerns or or issues you may have with individual pupils I offer training and a variety of different things or 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 link up with other trainers and and collaborate with many other services out there and around us which is really really important and the third thing is that we look at staff well-being we know that we're all human we all experience these same emotions as as everybody around us so I, I'm, I'm there and I, I hope I help. And thank you, Sam. It sounds like I did. Yeah, that's great. And it's really interesting to hear the breadth and depth of the mental health background uh, that you bring. And really, the, the podcast is really a collaboration in every sense and you know, between us, but also wider between the professionals as well. So yeah. in future episodes, we'll hope to reach out to other colleagues and professionals that we know to try and help us kind of put this puzzle together really um, yeah so to start with I think it'd be really helpful Nicola if you could just set the scene for us in terms of pre-coronavirus and mm. school closure and so on what yeah. was the scene like locally in terms of mental health services and the need that was presenting itself and so on yeah absolutely so Back in 2016, the the first minister for education, um, well, the first minister prioritised mental health and wellbeing, and then we had the minister for health, Vaughan Gethin, and the health minister, uh, the education minister for education, Kirsty Williams, prioritise money around the uh, mental 
and emotional health of children and young people. England, England had released their their report first, and Wales followed up with their report, the Mind Over Matter report, that highlighted some some quite considerable deficits around how we support our our children and young people with their emotions, and not just mental illness, because for a long time children and young people who have felt overly sad or worried or angry have been seen within mental health services which in fact we needed to reframe this so the mind over matter report suggests how we can um how we can collaborate with each other how we can work together and this is when they put our money, our our £1.4 million to trial, to pilot something here in Wales. It's a national pilot. So there's there's colleagues in Wrexham and Ceredigion and down here in Gwent to help us think about what model is going to be most useful for uh, mental health services and schools to work together. Because we see the same children. The majority of our children go to mainstream education or or have accessed it. and it's such a useful link to to think about schools as community hubs, really, for mental and emotional health and how we can work in amongst in amongst learning um, and wellness. And of course, the, the curriculum change, adding that pillar for emotional uh, well-being is, is vital. We, we need to implement it in everything that we do. And the ALM reform around inclusion rather than exclusion so that there was a lot going on um pre-covid and i think there's a lot going on now sam absolutely and there's a couple of things here i'd like to pick up on uh, first of all i think it's really important a caveat really from the outset of the podcast is that when we talk about mental health that is that temptation sometimes for people to feel that we're pathologizing yeah. uh, and that's just not what we're we're doing when we're talking about mental health in this podcast we're not talking about pathologizing no we're not most often talking about mental illness we're talking about mental health in a more holistic sense could you just clarify that a little bit for us yeah i i think um i think that's really really important sam and you will hear me talk about um worry and anger and sadness in that way so that we don't pathologize. Uh, we we are very, very used to um, terms like anxiety, depression. And is it is it useful to think of our, our children's health that way, to think of a very diagnostic reason for for them feeling a little bit sad because something may have happened or something hasn't happened uh, or or something's about to happen and we feel worried about it? So it's you know we want to reframe emotion into a, a very normal context absolutely which I think leads us on because i think that kind of links in really with coronavirus covid19 obviously and that sense of sadness around yeah. something sad actually having happened and sadness being a response to that it's not you know uh, mental illness it's a natural response uh, so yeah i don't know at this stage how much you how much of an insight we have really but you know how much do you in in your role at the moment see the, the change now with COVID-19 obviously uh, has it see have you already seen a development in terms of the mental health need? 
Well, that's a really, really interesting question. I think at this point, we are we are guessing um, in in certain areas of the the services around us when it hasn't fully unfolded yet, because we we're still in partial lockdown. We are seeing increases in referrals um, and increases in distress. And we know, of course, through different surveys and much earlier surveys throughout March, Young Minds um, completed an online survey with our young people. And uh, they had the data there saying 32 percent agreed that that their mental health had got worse um, since COVID, you know, in a global pandemic, which is a traumatic event. 51% agreed that it had made their mental health a little bit worse. So we know, we know this is going to have a huge effect on our young people, but I don't think we've quite quantified it yet. Um, And I think it would be premature, I think, to to even be trying to do that you know I think we need to give ourselves a time to really see that happen it's been interesting just from some of the research that I've come across and been reading the things like um, eating disorders for example uh, the lockdown has created some control issues for everybody but that's particularly yeah. exacerbated people's uh, with existing eating disorders for example um, from what I've read you know would you, you agree with that? That's really interesting. Where where was that article from, Sam? Uh, that was one BBC News, perhaps. Um, I've read so much, to be honest with you. Um, but yeah. I'm trying to think where it was, uh, having read so much. But there's a couple, actually, that have referenced that in particular, just because I think it's linked so much with the element of control. And obviously Absolutely. the lockdowns has such an impact on control. It's just one of the ones that's kind of already shown itself most prevalently because of the, the natural yes. control issues involved. I do you know what, Sam, that's that's so interesting. I've got so many themes in my mind about, you know, contamination. We know if uh, we experience high levels of worry or, and high levels of perfection. There's certain ingredients or, or, or correlations between behaviours that an eating disorder, say anorexia nervosa, grows in. And I'm thinking about that element of uh, not wanting to eat food just in case it is contaminated, not wanting to take it from other people, even if it's in your family. Uh, and the, the worry that the pandemic has caused on top of um, you know, the, the challenges day to day, maybe having to let go of your exams or, or not be in school. And that actually gave you that control. But also and a little more control over selecting their own diet and things in school. Absolutely. Uh, shopping Avoidant. being so much more difficult isn't so easy. And obviously around family members who may be um, keeping an eye on them, so to speak, might yes. be quite challenging too. Definitely. There is nothing more exposing, is there, than having to be in the house all the time with your family. And we know that eating disorders are very clever and calculated like that. We know that anorexia nervosa will say um, to, you know, our mums and dads, yes, I've already eaten. I had loads today. I don't want tea yet. 
or I, you know, I grab something on the way to school for breakfast. Yeah. Um, it, it's fully a, exposed. Yeah, and that's kind of a just one example I selected there, just a kind of exemplify really. But you know, I'm sure we'll come back in future episodes more to this. Um, but there's something that we can all relate to in it. That's certainly that being in lockdown around the same people all the time for all of us. I'm, I'm sure we can all relate to it. it's yeah. a different dynamic for sure, isn't it? And um, does put certain pressures on for everybody, I think. Uh, just give us a brief outline in terms of services. We've talked here about some of the need and, and how your services developed pre-coronavirus. What were the services like? I have confession. I think I know the answer to this, Nicola. But just what were the services like? How are the services coping pre-coronavirus? Okay, so services, uh, historically, when, when we talk about services, I think you're asking about mental health services, particularly Absolutely. our CAM service. So our CAM service, as we know, has been overstretched and underfunded for a long time. It's it's felt unpenetrable to many for, for decades. However, in the context of mental health service, I think it's really, really important that up until 2016, our mental health service, the CAM services particularly, got 4% of the, men- the whole um, health board mental health budget. OK, so 96% of the health board budget for, for mental health went to adult or older adult services. And so that gives in perspective the resource that we have. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. And, I think that's a really important point, actually. You know, yeah. an acknowledgement from us at the start. You know, I, like I said, I think I knew the answer, but you know, let's be clear everybody is doing beyond their best about mental health. Yes. Well, it's, it's, it's become really prioritised because we we have lost tragically we've lost children and young people and we know that we've got a real problem um, with male suicides in Wales and you know there's there's areas in Wales of deprivation and we know that mental health is affected in those ways so I, I'm really glad it's been prioritised that four percent has increased but we're still running at maximum capacity and constantly finding new processes and ways to get throughput. We need to, you know, we need to see everybody and everybody wants to be seen now, but uh, we, we can't do that if we don't have the resource. So we've had to think about the wider community. Where does where does mental health actually sit? And when we reframe it into sadness, worry and anger, actually, that's everybody's business. Everybody needs to think about how we think and how we feel in the context of what we do. So um, it's, it's so important to work out here in the communities and work alongside people who already have safe relationships with these young people that will be much more effective in supporting them than taking them out of their their safe environments, plonking them in a clinic and and rebuilding a whole other relationship with a stranger so they can um, gather trust and, and and be able to be helpful. So this is that's this another. Is what, yeah. So, on, sorry, Nicola, that's, that's another thread here that I've really picked up in the research I've been doing as well. 
uh, around exactly that. You know, the trust involved in in engaging young people in new services and new people. Yeah. Um, I think we can anticipate. You know, that's just going to be more and more challenging if we add in the coronavirus element as well. Yeah. So kind of looking forwards and talking about that, the relationships that already exist for young people, uh, which for us in education, obviously, is school staff, teachers, yeah. support staff, everybody they, they already know. Um, and listening to different people and reading, for example, Mike Armager talk about this and um, Barry Carpenter's recovery curriculum, which again, we may, we may well come back to in future episodes. Yeah, They've really highlighted the fact that initially, you know, young people aren't going to be engaging with services as soon as they come and present to us. And so what the advice is and sort of the term that uh, I've come across regularly and fairly consistently is that school staff need to be the emotionally available adults in order to provide that initial primary support to young people. Yeah. Do you agree? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And you're right that 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 transition back to school about how relationships are being built and then they're picked up quite quickly because you may have known these children for a long time. You are those people who will see change or difference. You will see them in the context of their peers and and um, it, it's such a social environment. It, it's definitely the place to to you know identify and be able to support in that first instance i see so i think you know we've got to be honest about the the challenges that's going to represent for everybody involved in the educational system which yeah. hopefully you know why we're collaborating on this podcast and why hopefully we'll pick up on a lot of these themes going forwards and, and provide listeners with some tangible advice um like I said earlier, either personal practice advice around self-care and so on, or classroom practice advice. Yeah. Uh, so I'll be interested to see that project develop and how we can try and upskill ourselves in readiness for that. Uh, yeah. So could you provide us as a starting point, really, just for anybody listening? Now, whilst schools are still closed, and again, a caveat, for anybody listening, I fully know that schools aren't closed. Schools are open all across the country. Uh, it's just a neater way of putting it. Uh, Tom Bennett on Twitter said that the most accurate way to hear it expressed was when we refer to reopening of schools is the expansion of cohorts. It does quite have the same ring to it. So for anybody listening, schools haven't closed. They never did. Um, they're not reopening. They're expanding. But if we talk yeah. about closure or reopening, just for neatness of expression, then please forgive us and know that that's what we're referring to. So yes, as that's we a think very about good whilst point. we're yeah, whilst we're um, not open to all pupils, then could you give us some insight into how staff could be preparing or or what things could staff be doing now? I'm I'm thinking. Um, I'm thinking about how we're going to rebuild relationships. I'm thinking about when our children go back into a traditional learning environment because they've been out of it. How are their thoughts and feelings going to be captured on returning? 
how is that bridge between um, that transition between home and the school environment going to be supported? How is it going to feel um, comfortable? Go, you know, how do you build that trust back up now for those children? And how also thinking about processes and structures around how it, do we need to check in with these children? What has gone on since since lockdown? What has happened? Have they lost anyone? Has there been changes in their family, in their home? Uh, you know, we don't know. We don't know what these children have experienced. How are we going to uh, take the time to learn that so we can focus on our relationship and building up that that safety for them to be able to return? It's absolutely fantastic questions there, isn't it? Um, that yeah. lots of thought is already going into uh, and coming up with some of those answers but it's certainly key things that we'll need to consider going forwards just mindful of obviously staff as well and the impact it's having on everybody it's a really it's a social trauma uh, for, yeah. for society you know and, and staff as well possibly do you have any suggestions for you know things that staff could be doing just in terms of their own self-care at the moment things oh, to consider or think about yeah, there's a variety of things. And I, I can't help but think about, um, you know, the five ways to well-being model, thinking about have we got the right balance of um, the basics, the the fundamentals of, of physical exercise? Have we been learning and growing whilst we've been home learning? Have How can you carry this on? How can you get that balance back? I'm really, really interested in the high, very, very high and fast-paced um, way of working that, that my teaching colleagues have whilst you're in school full-time learning. And then, and then the lockdown, it, it's, it's been a different way. It's been a different way of doing your job. And now having to go back into that environment, I'm just thinking about coping kits you know, how how are those those transitions for you? We're all human. We all have the same kind of emotions. How are the transitions going to be for you? What routines have you got into during our, our pandemic lockdown that you can continue to help that balance, to bridge bridge that transition back? Um, you know, our talking networks, I, I think a lot about compassionate environments how are we going to link up with the people that we work with and how can we create an accepting shame free environment that's compassionate towards everybody's experiences really interesting and the particularly the compassionate practice is something that i'd really like to come back to and no doubt yeah. we will in the future because i think there's lots to unpick there and some really powerful things there uh, and practices there to take forwards so just thinking in terms of just leaving our listeners with some top tips then really yeah. it's been a really interesting conversation thank you Nicola um, so I think number one exercise in terms of self-care yeah our, our five le ways let's go back to kind of taking notice being active uh, being kind, keep learning, um, and 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 just be there for each other. 
that sounds fantastic. So five ways of well-being. That sounds really useful. Top tips there for people to take away and, and ponder and think about and see how many of those they can try and incorporate into whatever their routine looks like right now, which as we all know is different for everybody. Thank you, Nicola. That was a no, really interesting you, conversation. And obviously it's just a, an introduction. Really. We'll pick up a lot more on these themes, hopefully in, in future podcasts. Excellent. But I think that's given us a really useful introduction. So thanks, Nicola, for your time. It's uh, a start of a collaboration. Lovely. Uh, thank you for anybody who's listened. And hopefully we'll pick up on more of these themes and identify more practice as the episodes develop. But for now, thank you for listening. Thank you, Nicola. And we'll catch you again soon on a future episode. Thank you, everyone. Thanks, Thanks again there to Nicola. And we'll try and conclude every episode with three to five teacher takeaways. So as Nicola was alluding to there, our teacher takeaways for the first episode are the five steps to well-being, five ways to well-being. So number one is connect, stay connected to people around you as much as you can. Number two, be active, try and maintain some regular exercise. Number three, take notice, remind yourself to take notice and try and strengthen and broaden your awareness. Number four, learn, continue learning, whether that's professional learning or learning about something that you're interested in outside of work. And number five, keep giving. Participate in social and community life, whether again that's professionally or in your local community now whilst you're working in a different way and hopefully enjoying some time outside as well. So that's the five ways to well-being. So some information about those is on the MIND website. Uh, They'll be linked up next to the podcast with anything else that Nicolai have touched upon in the podcast that you may like to read or find a little bit more out about. So any links, including the MIND five ways to well-being, will be sent out alongside the podcast so thanks again for listening just before we go thanks to paul osborne as well and my music colleague for the intro and outro music Uh, so thanks for listening we hope to see you again